we're going to have Benjamin the Rad preaching. I'm going to. What do you need prayer for, brother? The Lord. <laughs> the Lord. Ben needs a supernatural shot of coffee from heaven. He woke up at three this morning to go drop his wife at the airport. Father, we just thank you for this man and his wife and for what they do and what they've given their lives to. Father, we honor them for putting their hand up and taking on an incredibly difficult and challenging yet amazing task of leading this community. And uh, while Jess is away, we pray just for your blessing and your grace upon her and for Ben as well, your grace upon him, Lord, to be apart from his wife and your protection over both of them. For today, Father, we just open our hearts wide to hear the message that Ben is going to bring. I know that it's been stirring around inside of him and it's brought excitement. I pray that we would receive it with the same excitement, that you would speak revelation from his mouth to us, that you would anoint his tongue um, as he speaks, that there would be an impartation of you into our lives that would better um, better us and, and, and move us closer in our relationship with you and uh, give us greater understanding of you as our God and Father. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, my wife is left this morning at a ridiculous hour and I had to awake at quarter to three or something. I, I didn't see till about the car and then I opened my eyes. But uh, she's off to Bali for a work trip to do more work than Bali. So she's really sitting in a beautiful place to sit and do work, which is upsetting. But that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. Hey, Mark, can I grab a glass of water, please, wherever Mark is? Or someone? Yeah, awesome. Thank you. I'm going to get very cotton mouth very quickly. I, uh, I didn't want to preach this sermon. I didn't want to write this sermon. I said that I was going to preach on... Uh, the vision and take four weeks to really delve into the scriptures and why we see where we're going. And I sat down to, to write, and as I always do, I spend about 15 to 20 minutes procrastinating on YouTube and other places to get my brain in the right space. And I stumbled across a video that challenged me greatly, and I saw some, I, I just started writing, and my procrastination quickly turned into sermon writing, which was fantastic. And I, I wrote this sermon, and I I said to Brad last night, sillily, I said, I'm really excited about what God's shown me in this, but I'm also really challenged because there's so many thoughts on the page and I don't know what direction it's going to take. So bear with me while I go through my ramblings that I just added to the paper. But I just want to say, guys, from my way, and well done this morning. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. We are, we are going, I know I say this all the time, but we are going from, from depth to depth with God every time we enter worship. And I was saying to, to uh, Sambo and the guys during the week that it's actually the community that enters into worship, not just the worship team. I've got a quote I'm going to show you a bit later about what their job is, but it's all of us that get to enter into that place. It's not just them who, who they, at one point when Sambo stood back and the church was singing, I closed my eyes and it was, it was 10 times louder than it should have been in here. I'm not going to go ahead and say what I think that is. I might upset somebody, but I, I, I just I feel like there's something we're stepping into. And, and God, the word I got a few weeks ago when I was in Adelaide was to yield to the Spirit. And on Thursday night, that's what we came and do, did. We came, we stood in a circle, and we just yielded. For the first 20, 30 minutes, no one prayed really in English. We just stood there. From silence to guys praying in tongues, back to silence, and just said, Holy Spirit, we'll wait for you. We're going to come and position ourselves in a place to wait for you because you're worth it, because you're so worthy, because you're so worth everything that we have. But the video that I stumbled across was from um, a show called The Twilight Zone, which I've never seen anything of. I have no idea what it was. It's a black and white, old school TV show. Some of you guys know in your heads know what it is. Okay, I stumbled across the video, Twilight Zone, and it was about a guy named Mr. Valentine. And the scene, it's very quick. I was going to show it, but it was six minutes, and I, I just didn't want to take six minutes. So I'm going to quickly just give you a recap of it. But a guy named Valentine starts, and he's in a gunfight, and he gets shot, and he ki he's killed, and he wakes up, and he opens his eyes, and he's in a massive mansion. And there's a man in a white suit who's standing next to him. And he says to the guy, where am I? And he says, you're in your beautiful house, and you can have whatever you want. So Mr. Valentine goes ahead to think that he's in heaven. 
So he says, I'm, I'm in heaven and you must be my guide. And the guy who he calls Fats says to him, yeah, something like that. So it moves on into the next scene where Mr. Valentine realizes, I get, wow, I get my own house and he's going through this mansion and he's amazed by what the house looks like. And then it cuts to the scene. He says, if I can have anything that I want, I want to go to the casino. So the next scene it cuts and he's playing craps at a craps table. And every time he puts something on the numbers, he wins big. And he gets all pumped up his side. He says to Fats, Fats, come, come. Put anything, whatever you want, you'll win. Put it on. And he's pumped up. Then he goes to a pokey machine. He puts money on the pokey machine. And again, bing, 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 it goes wild and he wins big. And he's pumped by this. And he goes home, back into the mansion, and he's so stoked. And then it cuts to a scene where Fats is reading him the problems that he had through in his life. And he can see that he's quite bewildered by the problems. But it cuts back to the casino. And you see the casino scene about three more times. But every time you see him in the casino, he's getting more and more upset at the fact that he keeps winning and winning to the last scene where he puts money in the poker machine and he just looks like he's disgusted at the fact that he wins. And he goes back to the house with Fats and he says, Fats, I'm not cut out for this. I don't want to be in this place. Take me to the other place. Send me to the other place. I give this over. I want to go to heaven. And Fats looks at him and cackles laughing. And he says, you think you're in heaven? And he says, yeah, this is heaven. I get whatever I want. And Fats cackles laughing and he says, no, this is the other place. You're in the other place. And he reaches out to grab the door handle and the scene goes black. But the extraordinary thing that, I, that, that punched me, which I'd seen many times before, but it, it really hit home and, and, I, and I want to dig into it a bit today, is that we have this concept that Christianity is between heaven and hell and that was what the whole point was and we're just waiting to get to heaven that that's what this thing is that we're sitting here doing but what the picture the video really showed was that any place that we're without God we're not in heaven any place where we're distant from the father we're not in the place we want to be so you can make hell look like whatever you want it to look like can be a burning pit of hell. Someone explained it to me once that it was a, a dark washing machine that you were in for, for eternity. It doesn't really matter what it looks like. So long as you're not with the Father, you're in a place you don't want to be. And it gave me, it, it took me back to a verse in John 17, 3, where it says, where Jesus, he's, he's praying to the Father before he goes to the cross and he's pleading and he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, friends, is not us going to heaven. That's not what eternal life is. Eternal life is a true reality of a relationship with God the Father. And the thing that I'm going to preach, the thing I'm going to go into now, and the thing that, that is so invigorating to us is that we have that right now. We have access into that right now. I'm going to challenge you and say that Jesus' message, which I will, uh, I will go on to show, but Jesus' message wasn't about getting us to heaven. If that was the case, the moment we got saved, we would have been zapped into heaven and then we'd just keep moving. That's not what he came to do. When we look through the scriptures of Jesus, I, I, I came across a book in my bookshelf. Funnily enough, I didn't know that I had it. Um, and it, it was, it's called The Book of Jesus. I was like, this seems pretty good. I might get some revelation out of this. But someone has gone through and they've found all the red letters in the Bible, everything that Jesus said, they've just put it into one book. It's fascinating. Absolutely amazing just to read through Jesus without the, the other stuff around it. Quite an interesting task. If you're ever not sure where to read, someone said to me during the week, where should I start my Bible? Just read the red letters. Flip through your Bible for a little while and just read. If you don't know where to go, just start there. I promise you'll get something decent out of it. But Jesus came... Jesus came with the understanding that, that the kingdom of God was the gospel. The kingdom of God was the good news that he was bringing. That we had access into his kingdom as king. I've been listening to quite a bit of Shane Willard, so I've got a few Shane Willard quotes across the, the sermon and probably in sermons to come. But he said this, he said, What if the worship leader's job is not to usher the presence of God, but to get people to cancel out the white noise of their week, long enough to be conscious of what is always there. That when we come into worship, what we did this morning, Sambor, although he carries an amazing gift, he, he is coming to get you to be silent for long enough that you can hear the voice you could have heard yesterday or the day before. You see, we've made this thing into this 
unattainable, hard thing. Although we've come away from the law, we've almost put us back in this difficult place where we go, we've got to have it look a specific way or I can't get what I need. That's why when we come to worship, you notice the first one or two songs always seems like it's a bit of a drag. That's because the worship leaders are trying their best to get you to be quiet for a moment just to hear his voice. And the moment you hear his voice, the whole thing changes. And and we all start to realize, man, here it is. It's right there. I can worship him in this place. That's why about midway through worship this morning, something changed and we, we got into this unison of just a incredible worship of him and the atmosphere shifted because when we come together as a body of believers we can in our imagination how god created us change anything that's why we have life and death in the power of our tongue because god created us in a way that when we come together as a body of believers and we worship the one true god he pours out on his people I was in a conversation with a, a church leader and we were talking about churches and I, I left the conversation so grieved because he said to me, he said, you know, I, I said, bro, he said, what, what excites you the most? I said, worship, not just singing songs, but coming to my knees and saying, God, I love you and I'll stay here for as long as you want me to. And he said to me, come on, bro, that's worship. We do worship every day. Every day we live our life, we're worshiping him. And I heard what he was saying, but what he was saying was he, he tossed it into just a pile of, I, I wake up in the morning and just me living is worshipping him. There has to be an intent to your worship. There has to be an intent to your worship. I want to talk about two things today. I want to talk about the difference between truth and meaning. And I want to talk about the kingdom and what the kingdom is and how we can actually step into it. Is that Okay. I like to, to read and listen quite widely because I, I, I like to get out of my echo chamber and listen to different people's opinions. And one of the guys that I listen to from time to time, and I've read his book, is a guy named Jordan Peterson. And he's a, he's a very clever man. He's a, uh, a, a psychologist, a clinical psychologist. And he, every time I've listened to him, he challenged me because in every interview they ask him, he's done lectures on the Old Testament, he's done biblical lectures, and in every, every time he gets into a conversation, people say to him, Jordan, are you a Christian? And this is how he answers that question. He says, I don't say that I'm a Christian, but I live my life as if God exists. And that saying always frustrated me because I'm like, if he's a Christian, why isn't he claiming to be a follower? Why isn't he claiming to live his life in Christ? And I, I, in my procrastination upon more writing, I was watching a video of him and he said, I'll answer the, I've, I've been asked that question a lot and I've never answered it. He says, I'll answer it for you. He says, I don't want to put myself in a category that I can't meet up to. He says, I don't want to call myself a Christian and then fail to be a follower of Christ, fail to project Christ like he ought to be projected. He said, I hold such a high value of being a follower of Christ that I want to make sure that when I say I'm a Christian, my life is picturing Christ that I follow. Man, I was rocked by that. Because that's an unattainable task, yet that's what we're walking toward. It's such a massive task. But you know, in the Old Testament, in the, in the early days, they didn't run around calling themselves a Christian. In actual fact, to be a Christian, you were sent to the, the outer parts. You were a nobody because you were a follower of a Christ. When that word was actually used, Christian was actually used, it was a derogatory term. They used it to laugh at those who followed this man who called himself Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. But we put it on everything. We put it everywhere. We, we, we say it all the time. We wear it on our necks. We put it on our Facebook pages. But you know the interesting thing about the, the, the olden days and, and, and when, they, when they were Christians was that no one knew that they were a Christian except for what was on their life, except for what they portrayed in their day-to-day, what they carried everywhere they went. They were so different that they were realized this person must be a Christian because he's operating in such such a strange manner that he must be a follower of that of the one they call the Christ. But today's day, we have made it, we have watered down that word Christian. We have watered down what it means. We have, we've taken away the fact that when you say you're a Christian, you are a, a 
image bearer of the one true God, a follower of Christ, one who's laid his life down and called upon that of Christ's. I don't mean this to scare us, I mean it to challenge us, that when we say, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Christian, and I, I'm happy to declare that I'm a Christian, am I perfect in it? No. Do I stuff up? Absolutely. Am I giving it my, my darnest crack? Yes. And I will continue to do that. But I am a, I'm a believer of Jesus. I'm a believer of, of Christ. Everything we, have to, everything we do has to be done with meaning. I want to show you the difference between truth and meaning. Where's Timmy? Timmy, you were in my notes. And I was like, if he's not here, it's not going to make any sense. <laughs> Tim's here. Tim and Taryn had a baby, everybody. Give them a clap. And Bub's here, huh? Upstairs. So good. With Taryn. Hello, Taryn. Everyone wave to Taryn. Hello, Taryn. That stream's upstairs, if you're not sure. Um, okay, so my, my picture. Tim, Tim likes to play rugby with his mates. And before they had the baby, every night, Tim would go to the park after work and he'd play rugby for two hours. And then after rugby, he'd stand around the car and he'd have a beer with his rugby mates. They'd tell a few stories, then Tim would go home. Okay? This is before he had a baby. So he, he does this every night before he has a baby. All of a sudden, the baby comes. The truth of the matter is that Taryn's now had a baby. Tim and Taryn have had a baby. He's excited and he's pumped up. The first night they get home from the hospital, he's pumped up, he's excited, they've had the baby. Tim kisses Taryn on the head and says, okay, I'm going to play rugby with the boys. He goes down to the park, he plays rugby, he has his beer and he comes home. After about five days of this, although I don't think he would have made five days, after two days of this, Taryn says, hang on a sec, whoa, whoa, stop, stop. We've had a baby now, we've had a child. And Tim goes, yeah, I know, it's beautiful. She's beautiful. And Taryn goes, but, but what does that do to your life? What meaning does that bring? And Tim goes, ah, oh, it means the world. Okay, so why aren't you prioritizing me and your newborn child over rugby and the boys? And he goes, oh, well, I know it's true. We've had a baby, but there's no meaning carried into Tim's life. Now, this is a, hy this is a hypothetical story. I can see some of you like, Tim, you monster. It's a hypothetical story. Tim's a good guy. Tim's been at home with his wife and his kid, but you see the picture I'm drawing. The truth of Tim having a baby has to have meaning in his life and actually change things for him. Timmy, has your life changed since you've had a kid? Drastically. So there's meaning to the truth, right? Tim comes home, things are different. It's the same when a, when a good friend of yours gets a husband or a wife and they stop showing up all the time to the parties, to the fun things, to the hangouts, and we get a bit upset. It's because the truth of them being in a relationship has meaning and it affects the way they live their life. It's the same with what God is doing with us. The truth we see in the scriptures has to have meaning in our life and affect our lives in some way. I was, I was, um, we were singing that song during the week, when you walk into the room, everything changes. I love that song. I was sitting there, I was... I was I like to listen to the lyrics that we sing and, and make sure that I'm not giving myself to something that I can't step up to. But I thought, when you come into the room, everything changes. Everything. Sam Moore read this morning, or he, or he spoke about this morning, that Jesus inhabits the praises of his people. Who believes that? So we believe that, right? That's the truth. The truth is Jesus inhabits the praises of his people. Did we praise him this morning? Okay. So... Think about this. We, we, we honoured him in praise, therefore he inhabited his people. Okay, so by that scripture, Jesus was here this morning. And then we take that song, when you walk into the room, everything changes. Now put all those things together. What do we get? We should be drastically changed this morning. That's truth taking meaning in our life. Do you understand the difference? We can have all kinds of truth. This book is full of truth. We can read it and read it and reread it and, and study it and go back over it and stand on it and sleep with it. And we're still going to only have truth. If it has no meaning, it's just words to you. We've got to actually begin to apply the things that this book says. And I tell you, it is flopping scary when you start to take that approach. 
Because you read something in here and you go, God, I'm not seeing this. God, I don't, I don't understand how that can take meaning in my life. I don't understand how I apply that to directly where I'm at and where I'm heading. Go with me to Mark 9 verse 23. I want to just explain this verse to us because there's so much in it. I'm just going to go briefly. I've now skipped so far forward in my notes that I'm going to get lost in a minute, but that's okay. We're here and I think God's doing something. This verse, uh, Mark 9, I'm going to go from, from 14 so we get the, the context of what's happening. Now when they came down, I'm reading from uh, the Passion. Now when they came down the mountain to the other nine disciples, they noticed a large crowd of people gathered around them. With the religious scholars arguing with them, the crowd was astonished to see Jesus himself walking toward them. So they immediately ran to welcome him. What are you arguing about with the religious scholars, he asked. I love that. Jesus just straight up, just straight up puts, puts it on them. What are you doing, guys? A man spoke up out of the crowd. Teacher, he said, I have a son possessed by a demon that makes him mute. I brought him here to you, Jesus. Whenever the demon takes control of him, it knocks him down and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and his body becomes stiff as a board. I brought him to your disciples, hoping they could deliver him, but they were not strong enough. Jesus says to the crowd, Why are you such a faithless people? How much longer must I remain with you and put up with your unbelief? Now bring the boy to me. Stop right there. Jesus straight up says to them, I've been with you. How long have I been with you guys? I've shown you the truth. I've given you everything you need. I've given it to you. You've got it. It's yours. But it didn't become meaning in their life. They had the truth of what was to happen, but it wasn't meaning to them. They couldn't actually take, allow it to take root down in their heart and allow it to change who they were so that they could operate in the way that he says to them. Jesus then, I think the, next, I think the Father shows the answer in this, in this part so spectacularly as well. The Father, not God the Father, the Father of the boy who was filled with demons. Jesus said to the crowd, oh, yeah, so he brought them to, so, uh, verse 20. So they brought him to Jesus. As soon as the demons saw him, it threw the boy into convulsions. He fell down to the ground. Just for the fact, as soon as Jesus walked in with the authority, the demons started to manifest because he knew who was coming. We spoke, we took eight weeks speaking about that. They knew Jesus was here. They would have been scared of their life because here comes the man who carries the authority. He fell to the ground, rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Jesus turned to the father and asked, How long has your son been tormented like this? Since childhood, he replied. It tries over and over to kill him by throwing him into fire or water. But please, if you're able to do something, anything, have compassion on us and help him. Jesus said to him, What do you mean if? Spectacular. If you are able to believe... All things are possible to the believer. When he heard this, the boy's father cried out with tears, saying, I do believe, Lord, but help me with my unbelief. God, the things I know, I know. But it's the things that I don't know that I need help with. I said last week before our, before our, um, our question and answer time, we're not coming up here to give you a good sermon. We're not coming up here to give you a bad sermon either. We're coming up here to provoke thought so that you can go away and apply it to your life and actually bring about change in your life, bring about meaning from the truth that we see in the scriptures. When you go and hear a sermon, you're not weighing up, was it good or bad? Did it pump me up or not pump me up? You're weighing up, God, the truth that's here, what meaning can I take of that truth that you've given me? That's what our job is as a preacher, a teacher. Too often we hear, How's, how was church on Sunday? It's pretty good. Plugging along. How was the sermon? Pretty good. Got pumped up, heard something I already knew, but I got to hear it again at a time I needed to hear it. If it took meaning in your life the first time you heard it, you wouldn't need to hear it again. 
because you'd apply it every single time that thing came up in your life. And you'd lock that thing away every single time I hear this thing, it's locked away. For us sitting in this house, for most of us, salvation is locked away. Now we want to understand how we operate and stay in the realm of the kingdom and only operate out of that place. That's what Jesus said. Jesus challenges the disciples. He says, I've already given you all that you needed. And then the father cries and says, the the father of the boy, but it's my unbelief. Man, we need to start praying for our unbelief. Stop praying for the things you need. Start praying for for your unbelief. God, show me my journey where I'm up to and then show me the things I don't quite understand so I can step into the next place. That's why I get so upset when people leave churches because they heard a sermon they didn't like. That's good. Hear a sermon you didn't like. Listen to that sermon. Then go to the scriptures and go, why don't I like it? Do I not like it because I've got to change something in my life and I've got to touch one of the cows? Or do I not like it because it's not truth? The former means you have to change, so we'll always take the latter. We'll always say it's his fault because it wasn't truth rather than going, well, what do I have to change in my life? I prayed for someone they didn't get healed, therefore God doesn't heal, so now I'm offended when I hear that sermon. No, you've got to go back here. You've got to go back here. That's why I honor and love Francis Chan. I think Francis Chan is, a, is an absolute champion and an honorable man of God because he stood before somebody and said, I don't believe God heals. And then God showed him in the scriptures and he came back and he said, I don't understand it, but I believe God heals. Because he was challenged to his root about something. And instead of saying, you're wrong because I don't want to have to change something in my life, he went, God, show me where I have to change. The end part of Psalm 139 that says, God, enter my heart and find any place that I'm on, not on the road with you. How's that for a prayer? Next time you get in your prayer time, pray that. God, come into my heart and find anything that's not of you and then bring me back to the path where you're on. It does. It is. It's a phenomenal prayer. It is, it is absolutely life-changing. When you, when you actually understand that it says, it says, see if there is any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. The path of pain that we are on, which is a path not of God. See, it comes down to the fact that you have to decide, do I really want these, this truth to have meaning in my life? Because if that's the case, it's going to bring about change in you. We're going to step into more of who he is. We're going to understand him more. But it's absolutely terrifying for some because you have to give yourself wholly to him. We just spent eight weeks on Ephesians. Imagine if we stepped into truly allowing that to take meaning in our life. That spiritual understanding of the kingdom realm and, and I'm not saying that some of us aren't stepping into that because we don't want it, but because it's, it's a process. But imagine if we, if we were a church at the place where that was fully meaningful in our life. It wasn't just truth. It was meaningful. That we woke up every day understanding who we were in Christ and the power that we carried in order to push back the gates of hell and for the church to start to take the place she was always supposed to be in. I've heard this a lot lately. Around a lot of church leaders, we get to, I, I get to hear about the new church popping up, the new this, the new that, this guy coming to town, that guy. And for most part, I just listen. But a lot, one of the things I hear the most is that guys say, oh, that church down the road, is it a gospel-centered church? And I started thinking to myself, what does that really mean? What does that mean for us? What's a gospel-centered church? Is this a gospel-centered church? What is a gospel-centered church? So I started to unpack this thought as to what is a gospel-centered church. Because when we go through the scriptures, what Jesus said was the gospel isn't what most of us would say was the gospel. You see, gospel just means, means mind blank. Good news. Gospel just means good news. I just had a full-blown mind blank. Gospel means good news, but it wasn't a Christian word. It was a Roman word. And it was used to herald the current Caesar of the time. 
Now, you need to understand that in that Greco-Roman time, they believed, because of the way the Caesar portrayed it, that Caesar was God, that he was like a demigod. That was what they believed. And on the coins that they had, they had the picture of Caesar because he was Lord of all. That's why we see that language used, because it's a tongue-in-cheek moment for Jesus saying, no, no, you're not Lord of all. I am the Lord of all. So when Jesus uses the word gospel, it's another moment where he's saying to the Roman world, the real gospel, the real good news of the real king is me. But Jesus doesn't say the gospel of Jesus. He says the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. He pulls out the kingdom of which he was operating out of. Mark, uh, Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first what? The kingdom of God. To be in his dominion, in his ruling place. So when we say, is it a gospel-centered church? Are they seeking first the kingdom of God, of heaven? What we tend to do is we tend to say, is it a gospel-centered church? Are they only focusing on Jesus on the cross? And I want to show you a picture with my umbrella. Because I was talking with a friend online and we were discussing some things and this came up and it made so much sense that I want to, I want to describe something to you with a picture because it, for me it unlocks things. We see... I want to for a moment just say that this umbrella is the gospel of the kingdom. Okay? When we get saved, we get the opportunity to hold on to this thing. But what we then have to do and step into is we have to actually open it up and step under it in order to be in the thing that God had for us, has for us. Now, every one of these panels is an element of his kingdom. So we'll say, oh, well, they're preaching the gospel of prosperity. So it's not the kingdom. Well, hang on. The Bible says in many places that my people will be a prosperous people. So that has to become a panel inside the kingdom of, of, of God. And then we'll say, well, these guys, they're preaching only the, the, the kingdom of healing. That's all they're focusing on. But hang on, the scriptures again says that there's power in, in his name and will bring about healing. So it has to be a panel. So what we do is every panel under my picture of an umbrella becomes things inside the gospel and it keeps us out of the rain, the awfulness of the world. But what we cannot forget is that if I let go of this part, if I remove the stem, salvation, I can't enter unto the kingdom. Right, because we can't see the kingdom unless we're born again. But what we see happening in our world today is people, churches, are holding on to the umbrella and saying, he's not preaching the kingdom. He's not preaching the gospel because he's not only talking about salvation. And they're standing in the pouring rain, failing to understand that the kingdom is all those things will be added unto you. Does that make sense? But then we can swing to the other side. So we've got guys standing in the rain, and I know people like this, holding on, saying, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. I can't wait till I get to heaven. I stop getting rained on. Holding this thing. And pointing at others who are standing under the, under the thing going, he's not, t oh, that's not the kingdom. That's not God. But then we have other guys who take just one panel, and I was going to ruin an umbrella, but I decided against it, who take just one panel. It's only prosperity. And then they hold the thing up and they stand under one panel. It's only prosperity. This is only the thing that we need. This is the most important thing. No, this is the whole kingdom. It all comes under. We all get to stand under all the things of God in that. Or it's only to do with healing. If you're not seeing healing, you're not seeing the kingdom of God. So we have people going into prayer meetings and going, well, I've never seen somebody healed, so am, am, I, am I not in the kingdom? You know, I'd like, I like to say to those guys, have you raised somebody back from the dead? No. Well, then by your measure, you're not in the kingdom either. 
You see, we can't use a small understanding of the kingdom and not use the whole thing. God has given all of these things. Set your eyes on the things that are above and all of this that I have, all of my kingdom, all of my goodness, you get to come into, son, daughter. Now, you have to understand how to operate within that place. But once you come into it and you understand all the panels and the panels start to make sense, wow, this is in the kingdom, but it's all because of salvation and I get to hold on to this thing. Because of what Jesus did, I get to see all of this. That's when we start to understand and operate as the church is supposed to be operating. Mark 1 verse 15, go there if you can really quick, back to a few pages. Not that many pages. Mark 1 verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. What does at hand mean? You have it right now. You have it. It's at your hand. It's at your fingertips. You have the kingdom of God. Repent. Change your mind. Don't grovel before God. Get that out of your thinking. It's not a groveling before God. It's a changing of my mind so that I can see the things of his kingdom. It's changing my mind so I stop looking at the things from the, from the wisdom from below and I start only focusing on the things from the wisdom that's above. Repent, change your mind, and believe in the good news. For the gospel is here. That was the message of Jesus. You can enter in. You can come under that umbrella now. You can come out of the rain right now. You'll have salvation. You'll stand there and you'll get out of the rain soon. I'm not downplaying the fact that there is a kingdom to come. We are now and not yet. There's a kingdom that is coming where we will be in the fullness of glory with a new body. But we get to step under that umbrella now and have pause from the rain as we're walking through this dark world covered under him and protected in who he is. I preached on the importance of the blood covenant. It is so important to understand what that is that we step into. Into Jesus, protected, covered and whole in him. The Passion says his message was this. Jesus' message was this. At last, the fulfillment of that age has come. It is time for the realm of God's kingdom to be experienced in his fullness. Turn your lives back to God and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ was the kingdom of God was at hand. Friends, when you're talking to somebody and they say to you, I don't understand, I don't understand, Ben, how... You can be struggling to pay your bills, yet you're as happy as could be. I don't understand how you just got crashed into and you hugged the guy and said, don't worry about it, we'll sort it out later. I don't understand how, I don't understand how, because I live in a different kingdom to the one that you live in. So when we're talking to somebody about salvation, it's not, man, you get to come to heaven. It's pouring rain, don't worry, I'll give you an umbrella. You can't open it yet. Don't open it yet, but I'll give it to you. You can hold it for now and you'll get to open it later. No, man. I just said no, man, like a South African. You get to open that thing and come under it right now. That's salvation. That's the beauty of God. That there is a full kingdom that you can come into and and access right now. When we draw that picture, rather than, hey, your sin's saved, but please stop sinning. Your sin's been forgiven, but please stop sinning. When we draw a picture of coming into the fullness of God, what that looks like, how it changes your life radically, we actually become a church that's powerful in pushing back those gates of hell. Matthew 13, 52 says, And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure what is new and what is old. Can I have 10 more minutes? Is that okay? Is everyone okay? I just want to draw one more picture for us. Luke 17 says this. Jesus says, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. 
I want to show you this because this has happened in so many churches around the world that we are now starting to hold on to it. That we say, if a gemstone doesn't appear in your meeting, then God didn't really break in. Or if cloud and glory dust didn't come in your meeting, then God didn't really break in. Now, no one directly says that, but that's the culture in which we hold. Is that we're longing to see those things and we've now put it into a box that that's the kingdom. But in this verse in Luke 17, it says the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is. I want to put it to you that that the kingdom of God is not to be made an idol out of. The kingdom of God is not to be made an idol out of. We've, in some cases, stopped looking for God the Father, for Jesus in a meeting, for, the, for His glory and His kingdom, and started looking more toward a particular type or move. A particular thing that we haven't seen before. A gemstone or a particular healing or this or that. When we shift our eyes off that onto something else, I want to put it to us that it's not worship of God. Paganism. That's a big thought, but it is. It's not worshipping him. It's worshipping something that's, that's tangible, something that's in front of us. But I want to put it to you rather that when something happens in our services like that, that the kingdom is an inward reality, but there is always an outward result. So there is something that happens when the kingdom moves. Of course there is, because it makes sense. When you throw a stone into the water... There's a ripple effect that ripples all the way out to the edge. The ripple is not the stone. The ripple is the effect of the stone going in. Does that make sense? Right? So, so power and glory coming in ways of gemstones or a glory cloud or healing is the effect of the kingdom of God. Because when the kingdom of God manifests, things have to come into alignment. Right? So it's the effect of the kingdom of God moving. It's the result, an inward reality with an, out, with an outward result. Go with me quickly, last verse. Go with me to Mark 4, verse 30, 32. I wanted to actually go to Bunnings and get a seed, but I figured I already had an umbrella and that was a bit wild for me, so I just would pump the brakes at the umbrella. But I... I looked on, on Bunnings to find out how much they were. You can buy for $3 something ridiculous like 16,000 mustard seeds in a little tiny packet. So I was going to hand one out to everybody, but I ran out of time. I'm sorry. I wish I did better. But I want to show you something in this verse. Matthew 4, 30 verse 32. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when pardon me, it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. You have to understand that for a farmer, the mustard seed was the most annoying plant to be in a garden or in a crop because the mustard seed, when planted, grows quickly and it it spreads and kills everything else that's around it. It takes over the garden and then it produces a tree and it becomes the only thing that's in the garden. Quite a selfish little, little seed. But in some places, they banned, they banned growing mustards, mustards, mustard, because of the way that the seed grew. I love that Jesus uses the most annoying seed because he's showing a picture that when you plant, when the garden's talking about, when, sorry, when the Bible talks about soil, it's talking about the garden of your heart. Right? We have to tend to the soil. It's not the parable of the sower, it's the parable of the soil of the soil, because it's talking about how we tend to our heart to receive the things of God. Our heart is where it's planted. The mustard seed, the kingdom of God, which is what this verse explains. So does Math uh, that was Mark 4, verse 30. So does Matthew 13, 30, uh, 31 to 32 says the same thing. Kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seed, but when it is grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. It starts small. The little yes from God is the kingdom of God that starts in your heart. The little yes. But I tell you, when you start to bend your knee 
to Jesus, it quickly grows in your heart. And that little yes becomes a bit bigger of a yes and a bit bigger of a yes and a bit bigger of a yes until you're moving countries to go and be sent by Dave to a YWAM base. Or you're going to, to, to Abu Dhabi to plant a church in a, in a, in a Muslim country because there is none there. But that's a big yes that started with a small yes, a tiny small seed. God, what do you want from me today? Where can I be? How can I start to spread your kingdom? And I tell you, when it starts to spread, it catches like wildfire until you have a tree in your heart that you can no longer look back from. And then all of a sudden, those yeses start to become automatic. Every day you've done 464 yeses before you've even got to lunch. But it's building to something. That's the kingdom. And I want to end with this thought, which I I learned this week. Scientifically, they've learned that when you go close to somebody, when you go close to somebody, there's things in your body, microorganisms, that bounce to that person. And when I walk away, they come back. That's scientific fact. I wish I had the study for you, but I don't. I'm sorry. It just came to me now when I read it and I was blown away. Google it. You've all got Google. But it comes back in the manner of which it was received in that other person to the point where they're saying that depression is an, it can be the person constantly talking negative and bouncing things back into themselves all the time. So that when I come close to Dan and I talk to him, there's a, a micro, I want to say electricity, but there's a, there's a movement between us. And when I speak ill of him and I walk away, those things come with me and I carry that illness with me. Does that sound like the kingdom of God or like it's a principle that maybe came from heaven? We call it sowing and reaping. Brad said it today, we can only sow in the field that we've been given. But I tell you this, you're sowing seeds every single day. When you step out your door, you're sowing seeds. We like to say, get your money, hold it up. Here's a seed, sorry. It's being being funny. I found it funny. (laughs) We like to say that that's the only seed sown, but you're sowing seeds every day. I said to some of the YWAM guys during the week, if you can't be nice to your waiter, why would God put you in front of a pulpit? Or on a worship stage. People do. But I'd like to question and put themselves there. We operate out of the kingdom of God in that small yes every place we go. It can start now so simply with a small yes. Does that make sense? Leave people with an understanding of the kingdom. You don't even have to open your mouth. I thank you to the cashier. It sounds so ridiculous that we should have to preach this, that we probably should have all got this on the milk suckle. But we miss this thing, man. We miss this thing regularly. And that's the kingdom. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That all these things are added to you. And you can, you can enter into a place of freedom and wholeness, but you've got to make those choices every day and step into that. Is that okay? Cool, let's stand or pray. I like to make people stand when we pray because it re-engages you. And I like to be engaged when we talk to God. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Did you like my explanation though? (laughs) Yeah, because you're a pain in the bum. I love you though, bro. I love you. All right, I'm going to pray and I want to say something to you. Please, please, please do not say amen as an agreeance if you don't truly mean it. I'm going to say some things now and I'm going to make some declarations to God. I'm making them for me. If you agree with them and you want to make them, solidify that by saying amen. Please don't say amen because it's the thing to do. If you don't like what I've declared, declare your own things. That's great. But I'm going to declare that we're going to stand forward as a people to start to bring his kingdom back into the church in the way that we act and who we are. So, Father, we come before you right now, Jesus. God, we, we declare that you are king. That you are king of our lives. 
God, that when we entered into your saving grace, we died to ourselves and we laid that down. And we were rose, risen again, Lord, in you, Jesus. But in that baptism, we died to ourselves and we arose in you. God, we declare that right now, Jesus, in your name. And we declare this, Lord, come and use us. Come and have your way in our life. Come and show us your ways. Come and search out our hearts and find the place that we're not operating in who you are and what you're doing, Lord, and lead us back to you in that. Come and reveal your kingdom to us, God. We give you our time, Lord. Jesus, we give you our time. Before all else, we give you our time, Lord. God, we give you our finances. We give you our marriages. We give you our parenting. We give you the relationship with us, with our, our parents, regardless of how old we are. We give that to you, Jesus, and we say, come and have your way. Come and show us where we're not representing your kingdom in that place. And let us bring light in that darkness. Jesus, we bend our knee to you. God, we bend our knee to you and we worship your name because you are worthy, Jesus. We love you. We honor you. God, we are so grateful and thankful that you would come, that you would bear those marks, that you would bear that beating and hang on that cross and then go to the place that we don't want to go ever, Lord, to do what had to be done and now you are sitting in glory waiting to bring us into that place. God, we thank you. We declare your kingship and we put our hands up and say we're willing to go. We say yes in our hearts, Lord, to do whatever it is you want us to do to go wherever it is you want us to go. Lord, we can't do it without you. We'll only go where you lead us, Holy Spirit. But send us, whether that be to our supermarkets, our workplaces, our soccer fields, to India, Malaysia, Singapore, Japan, Taiwan, Lord, wherever it is, we say we're willing to hear your voice and we say, yes, God, we love you, Lord, and we honor you. Amen. I heard a lot of amens. A lot of amens. Go and be blessed. We love you. There's coffee. If you are new or you never had a coffee, Joe's at the back. Looks like he's keen to shout. Ask him to you shout your coffee. Look, he's already heading back there. First one back there does the shouting. He'll stand there, ask that guy with a brown jumper on, he'll get your coffee. Be blessed. We love you.